0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Oh no! Burlington's a-coming! Everyone, man your stations! Get down, and when you see the whites of their eyes coming over the hill, you just start blasting! So apparently, Burlington Mayor Goldring wants to take water down away from Hamilton. What the heck is behind all of this? Let's ask Mayor Goldring. Within
1: Burlington, um, our current future state is intensification, infill, and redevelopment, and municipal councils need to have control as to how that happens. We need to have better tools to make sure that happens in an orderly and planned and thoughtful manner.
0: And Mayor Fred Eisenberger? Uh, This is a complete
1: uh, blindside. Uh, You know, I think the mayor ought to apologize, quite frankly, because it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, this kind of uh, throw it up in the air, kind of back of a napkin planning idea just comes out of the blue in the middle of an election. And you know what? Uh, Not at all helpful and uh, certainly not a topic that I'm prepared to discuss in any way, shape or form.
0: Wow. Could this be bigger than the Battle of 1812? Uh, Let's bring in Robert J. Williams, public affairs consultant and former uh, professor at the University of Waterloo, and is with us now. Robert, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Happy to join in, Scott. This seems a little bizarre at this time right now. Uh, What is your take on all of this?
2: I would agree with that word, bizarre. Uh, It seems to be the, I was almost going to say the silly season in the municipal world. Uh, We're getting all kinds of strange ideas that are floating up as we get closer to an election. As if there weren't enough other things to talk about, uh, all these perspectives, and and we've got bits of it up here in in Waterloo Region, too. But the idea of looking at the whole structure of the municipality in the middle of an election or raising, it seems to be a rather uh, unusual tactic and one that presumably is intended for uh let's say electoral benefit from some of the parties involved
0: so does it not seem odd for one mayor to go to uh, the premier and just say hey we'd like that please well i, I mean I is mean, that in fact I, what he's done or th- trying to well, do? that's what it seems
2: like he's done in the context of of the reports that i've seen in terms of why the meeting was going on with with burlington and a couple of other municipal uh, municipal uh officials meeting with the minister uh it's that's not what the meeting was for, but it seemed like a good idea. Get your word in early. Uh, we also need to remember that the premier himself uh, and and his minister have said they want to look at regional governments. Well, this is, in a sense, part of that, that kind of perspective. It's a bit of a leap away from it, but it, it might be the kind of uh, crack that they can use to, to raise this matter with the province and get in ahead of of possible objectors.
0: Is this a good idea for the mayor of Burlington to be raising this during a election campaign is that is there political gain to be made here? Well, I I don't live in Burlington
2: <laughs> I never have, but and I don't know the contest that's going on, but it may be his way of saying I'm looking after Burlington's interests and uh, I think this might be a good way to demonstrate that I'm I'm paying attention to uh what Burlington needs. I, I just can't give you any comment on on where that lies in terms of the contests that are going on in Burlington, but certainly could be useful in that uh, perspective. Uh,
0: who would have a say on this matter?
2: Well, ultimately, this is a provincial decision, and and that maybe can be the reason why it's raised now. The, the fact that Burlington is not uh, Burlington itself was a separate municipality, and that Waterdown became part of of Hamilton-Wentworth, as it was called back in the 70s. That was a provincial decision. It was actually uh, under the uh, uh, mandate of Bill Davis uh, and the uh, initiation of what was referred to. Uh, well, actually, John Robarts would have been starting it too, but part of what was called regional government. And Burlington at that time was actually considered in two different reviews. There was one review of, of the Halton-Peel area collectively in Burlington was was integrated into that study but there was also another study of, of greater hamilton let's call it and it also considered the possibility that burlington itself might be uh brought into a regional structure with hamilton in the end the province said we'll keep uh, burlington out of the hamilton region and we get uh what for for a decade and a half or more was the the regional municipality of hamilton Wentworth. burlington was put in and is still part of the Halton regional structure. So the idea of the connection between Burlington and Hamilton and in this flashpoint, if you will, of of Waterdown uh, is a result of of a decision made a very long time ago.
0: Is this about Burlington being out of land and the ongoing fights they're they're having there about going up and not out?
2: I I suspect it would be. I mean, uh, Waterdown is undergoing those kinds of changes. Uh, how, how well Burlington is coping with, with growth, uh, is, is certainly part of the equation. We're getting into escarpments and green belts and various other things. So there are barriers to growth, uh, for the, 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 all of the, the, all of the lakeshore municipalities, uh, that, that, uh, are, are part of this and Burlington might basically say, look, we're connected uh It's a bit of a tenuous connection in some ways up the mountain from from Aldershot to waterdown but but they can be connected and you know Waterdown is in some ways already connected to Burlington, certainly we know that on public transit uh and and the way the highway systems and and so forth work that there is a connection where the services are coming from and and how they how they would be better served is is not something that I could speak with authority about.
0: Is this could this be used as a tax revenue grab? Could this be viewed that way? We need more land. There's lots of development happening there. Oh yeah, certainly. Uh,
2: as residential development
0: goes on, so it's expanding your tax base. Obviously, that's right.
2: It's about expanding your tax base, and and even depending on where the line is drawn, there is some there's a small amount of of uh, industrial. Uh, a development going on in in Waterdown, but yeah, it, it's really about saying we can have a larger tax base. Um, and I'm not sure whether they're saying Hamilton won't miss it. I, I haven't I haven't seen that specifically, but Burlington could certainly benefit from from that, isn't Well, in, from what
0: we uh, know now, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is not happy about this at all,
2: and and I'm not the least bit surprised at that because as as your little uh, clip suggested, this, this there was no warning for this. There was no you know, nothing even a, a private call or a, or a conversation about saying, look, you know, should we talk about this? Uh, would it be of any value to talk about? It? And I'm not surprised that that in the end, w- whether it was talked about before or not, the mayor is saying, no, you can't just walk in and do that. This would take a, a lot of discussion, a lot of negotiation, a lot of thinking about is this the right way to go? And uh, ripple effects of all kinds uh, for both municipalities that uh, would need to be taken into account.
0: What's in this for Hamilton?
2: Uh, I'm not sure that there's a lot in
0: there for Hamilton, quite frankly. Like, really, it just seems like we're going to go in and take something. I mean, what's what does anybody get out of this, even the province? Well, I, the province,
2: I suppose that if we're talking about it at the political level, it may be a case of of uh, trying to to benefit uh, uh, some of the elected officials, but I I'm not sure that the province would gain much as a as a, an organization if I can call it that government of Ontario was would not would, would have to take a big risk I would say maybe that would be a better direction to go the idea of actually moving a municipality or or a, a large amount of territory from one municipality to another is a practice that is only done very rarely nowadays and and it was done a lot in the past but not not uh, In recent years, and one of the reasons for the creation of both the one-tier government in Hamilton and, before that, the region of of uh, Hamilton-Wentworth and the Halton region was so that you didn't have to do that. Municipalities would stay within boundaries. Ironically, the county boundaries, which is really what Hamilton reflects in in, to a great extent, are boundaries that were set probably in the 1850s, and and the provinces, provincial governments over the years have been very reluctant to tamper with those boundaries this would be a huge change of of uh, approach on the part of the province to say let's just uh... transfer this territory and and cross over the historic boundaries uh, and create something brand new it wouldn't put it past the current government to be thinking that way uh... because we're we're getting hints of some pretty dramatic changes that they may have in mind but you know that would that would be a a big I would think it's a political risk on the on their part.
0: What's in this for Waterdown?
2: Uh, I, I suppose from what I know of it, the kind of connections of we talked about earlier, Waterdown probably is uh, feels more comfortable with with Burlington as a community and less so with Hamilton. In the work that I did on on the ward boundaries in Hamilton, it was very clear that the people in Waterdown that we heard from, and certainly the people in Flamborough surrounding it uh, wanted to keep their distance from what they perceived as, as uh, uh, if you will, downtown Hamilton or traditional Hamilton or the old city of Hamilton. They, they they couldn't do anything about being part of it. So they wanted to make sure that their their voice was heard in this new entity.
0: Would they feel the same way about Burlington? I suspect
2: a little less so because Burlington uh uh, is a, a different kind of community demographically socially and whatever and and probably more in keeping with the kind of community that that waterdown is becoming but again <laughs> I don't know how far the line would go what the, what the, the, uh, the mayor had in mind uh, uh, that would be transferred to Burlington uh, it, it may be that, that there is a, a, a greater, level of comfort in that in orienting uh, the community toward burlington
0: if you wanted to do something like this what would the process be
2: well in the, the last set of uh, reviews of municipal government that we had which were in, in the, the harris years and then before that back in the 70s when regional government was established would be to appoint a, a, a committee a, a body an individual to to investigate the the structure. How should the government of this particular area be handled, providing a period of time, in some cases probably at least a year, to review the kinds of questions you're asking? What are the pros and cons? what would what would be improved? What might be harmed? what How do we weigh up the possibilities of of this kind of a change? That kind of a report would then be submitted to the province to and and at cabinet level, presumably. Uh, a decision reached about, um, you know, what uh, what action to take. Uh, and, and that that's the hint that I got from the earlier statements made by the Premier to when he was, uh, was in contact with the, the uh, municipalities at, at AMO, the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, we're going to do a review of regional government. I would hope that that would be the kind of thing that would happen, uh, not necessarily a local... Review, uh, but one that the province itself would control, setting the terms of reference, appointing the the uh, commissioner or commissioners, paying for it—all those kinds of things would presumably want to come from the province because ultimately, the the, the change in boundaries or, or the change in the structures would require that kind of approval.
0: Uh, one listener writes, this should have been done way back uh, during amalgamation. Is it too late to do this now? Is it worth opening up the can of worms for this? The mayor well, Then the mayor of yeah. Hamilton was saying, well, then we want Aldershot back. <laughs> yeah, and, and
2: well, there are a number of these kinds of cases, and, and my reference earlier to Burlington being reviewed as part of two different possible regional structures back in the 70s, uh, it, it perhaps should have been reviewed at amalgamation, and I think there was certainly some, Talk uh, of of some kind of a realignment at that time. That again, I made the point earlier. The province, even even though it was doing some very uh, fundamental changes, seemed unwilling to to change that 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 uh, Hamilton Wentworth Halton boundary at that time. It probably should have been done. There are a lot of those kinds of examples of of structures that we're now living with, especially the boundaries that we're living with that were set. Uh, at an earlier time, and where, for whatever reason, uh, they were they were not adjusted, and we're living with some of those consequences.
0: Uh, this isn't something that really uh, uh, residents or council uh, of either side has has even talked about. Uh, do you think this is all about politics? Well, why why what about the timing of this?
2: Yeah, the timing is is very. Uh, uh, Questionable in the sense of of being in the middle of a campaign. I mean, we're going through all kinds of flu around Toronto yeah. around an issue of structure. Uh, th- raising this one at this time, yeah, you know, it, it is a an odd one. We we certainly, as I said a moment ago, we have a a councillor up uh, in in Cambridge who's now saying, "Well, let's Cambridge drop out of Waterloo Region." Well, this is not unlike that. It's a different right. different answer, but mm-hmm. it's it's raising in the middle of an election. Uh, a, a new idea that certainly can't be resolved by the election. Uh, and it's put out there for discussion, and certainly the individuals involved are going to get a lot of coverage, a lot of media coverage, which and I'm sure from their point of view is not a bad thing. Uh, whether it actually goes anywhere, I myself would be somewhat um, uh, pessimistic in, in the short term. But, uh, you know, as I said, the province has uh, another issue to get sorted out which appears to have been done today maybe they will turn to it as well
0: uh do you think this will go to court
2: well there's no process in place just yet and that that's that is the part that we would need to work out i i don't know under on what basis uh the burlington mayor believes that this could actually happen I, i don't know that it's it's uh something that would uh uh, end up in a court i think there's got to be a, a legislative process of some sort maybe that could be i don't know on what basis that could be argued in court though because it's uh, it's really the province's uh, mandate uh, responsibility to deal with and the famous phrase is municipal institutions this is clearly a much more of a municipal institution than the composition of toronto council so the idea that it could be sub- uh thwarted in court uh, is not one that I I would see happening.
0: Robert J. Williams has been with us, public affairs consultant and former professor at the University of Waterloo, talking about uh, Burlington Mayor's Rick Goldring uh, wanting to uh, take water down from Hamilton and Mayor Fred Eisenberg are not too happy about that. Robert, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Court of Appeals for Ontario has granted a stay when it comes to the Toronto Council cutting bill, which basically means their election will run now with 25 seats and not 47. To talk more about all of this, Jamie Marocker is with us, reporter, digital broadcast journalist, Global News, and with us now. Jamie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
3: No problem. Yeah, so this this move, I mean... Uh, it's a really interesting one because yesterday in the Ontario Court of Appeals, the province came forward and said if the judge grants them a stay, then they will effectively remove or withdraw Bill 31, which essentially had replaced Bill 5, and the notwithstanding clause, which is this controversial clause that is basically the government's trump card saying that um, they can do what they want so they they said to the judge, "If you grant us a stay, we'll remove that, and we'll revert back to the original thing, which was bill five, the better better Government act, uh, which means that we go back to twenty five council members. So no matter how you sliced it, uh, it appeared that we were going to go back to that twenty five uh, member plan sorry the twenty five ward plan, and that's where we sit today. So it was a really interesting decision by the uh ontario court of appeals and again they didn't turn down what the superior court has said they've just put the entire process um on hold on the back burner
0: which basically waits for an appeal correct
3: yeah basically waits for this appeal but uh at this point with the election just you know weeks away that's they have yet. to move forward they're going to have to do the election the way um it was originally planned under bill five so that's with that 25 uh ward situation going
0: on. what happens if after an election this is thrown out on an appeal
3: I mean, it's very rare that that would happen at this point, um, and even I, the PC government knows it. They were rejoicing today, saying that this was a win for them. But that doesn't mean the fight is over, like you said. It does appear as if the people who have put in applications um, against Bill 5 are going to continue with that and and put this fight back up to the superior court. So it's kind of this round and roundabout thing. Rocco Champon was one of the first, Uh, lawyers to bring the application forward on bill five and that's what went up to the superior court or the supreme court the first time he said he's going to continue this for as long as it needs to go on so it's probably not the very last time that we hear of this
0: uh why do any of this considering they've already used the the notwithstanding clause does it appear like they want to back off from using that
3: Yeah, so, I mean, politically, this can do some damage to you, right? It's basically shoving um, their decision down um, Ontarians' throats. They're basically saying, we can do what we want. We don't care what the Supreme Court has to say. Um, We're going to do what we wanted to do originally, which was have this 25-ward situation in Toronto. So they haven't had to use that nonwithstanding clause. They basically... just said they, they were going to if it didn't pan out their way, kind of being, it's a bit of a sore loser situation saying that if the judge, so if the Ontario Court of Appeals had come back and denied the appeal right out, right. they would have just gone forward with the notwithstanding clause and said, oh, well, okay, well, Bill, Bill 31 is in instead of Bill 5. Right. So, um, yeah, it was a really interesting situation, but they did say today, the PC said uh, earlier today that they've officially killed Bill 31, which includes that notwithstanding clause, so they are not using it.
0: So they can now safely say we're not using the notwithstanding clause.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely right, and and that's what they've done.
0: Wow. 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 wow, it takes a program just to keep up with this.
3: I know, it's a lot. Honestly, um, I'm hoping that uh, you'll be able to check it out online, but we're going to break down the timeline and make it as clear as we can for people because I do know and I understand that this is a really interesting situation and a confusing one at that.
0: So that being said, is this over then?
3: Like you said, it may not be over. We talked to tons of legal experts, and they say that there is the chance that this could be challenged again. It could become this whole cyclical thing. Um, but with the uh, uh, the Toronto election, excuse me, just around the corner, and and no time for prep, no time for misstep, that sort of thing. Um, I th- I think you have to to leave it at this. Otherwise, you're really meddling in the municipal politics situation but like i told you the person who first brought this forward to the courts rocco champon he says he's not ready to let it lie so it'll be interesting to watch
0: so right now the pcs can safely say hey we're not using the notwithstanding clause we've just threatened to use it
3: yeah that's absolutely right and then actually i mean it, it looks good for them that they're not having to use it because it is something that you want to use only sparingly but we did hear from the premier himself say we're allowed to use it. I plan on using it. And if I have to use it again in the future, I'll do it. However, we also heard from his party some members who said, you know what, this is uh, should only be used in rare occasion. It We understand the gravity of it, the weight behind it. Um, so- I think they jumped the gun. I think that they should have waited for this appeal process to go forward before they even announced that they would have used the notwithstanding clause, and they would have saved themselves um, some embarrassment hmm. and a lot of trouble.
0: Interesting. So, uh, uh, not using it, but n- n- not using it because the judge has ru- has stayed the case. That's basically yeah, so, what's happened here.
3: So, um, the, the three choices that were before them before the ruling this morning, were deny the appeal, grant the appeal, or stay. But in any of those situations, you essentially ended up with that 25 uh, ward counsel because of Bill 31 and the notwithstanding clause. So no matter what the judge said, the province said they were going to overrule it if they didn't get their way.
0: Right. But if right. they
3: got right. their way, obviously it went down to 25 and with, boards as well.
0: And obviously they have the legal right to do that, so around in circles and circles we go.
3: Exactly. So it was a bit of a um, sore loser situation, if you will. Like, if you don't give us what we want, we're just going to do it anyway. Right. But instead of ha- looking like the sore losers and having to do that, they got a stay. They were granted a stay, which... Is a win-win for them because they still get their 25 ward counsel, and they don't have to enact the not with Santa Claus
0: because a judge ruled in their favor.
3: Essentially, well, he stayed it, but yeah, he stayed. So
0: yeah, it, so because <laughs> and then because it stayed, it's in a perpetual hold that will really oh, never the, go anywhere.
3: Exactly, you got it.
0: Wow, this is fascinating. Holy (laughs) smokes. So it does look like this is the end of it. I mean, it could drag on legally, but it looks like it's not going anywhere. Now, let me ask you this. As far as uh, moving forward with Toronto and its 25-seat election, how big a challenge is that? Can they get this done by the date?
3: They don't have a choice. They have to get it done at this point. The city clerk has very consistently said that this has been a nightmare for her, um, having to go back between 47 and 25 wards. They actually had only a tiny, tiny percentage of council hopefuls sign up under the 25 ward process. So these people only have, I think it's about, from this point forward, less than a week um, to, to get everything together, to get everything in. And our election is on October 22nd, and nobody on either side has ever said that we are going to change that election date. So that election date stands. Mm. They are going to have to work basically 24 hours a day to get all this done, to get all the ballots reprinted. And... Uh, to make everything go forward, it is definitely not going to be easy.
0: Hmm. So, But no mention of extending the process at all?
3: Not at this point.
0: Interesting. All right, Jamie Marocca has been with us, reporter, digital broadcast journalist, global news. Fascinating story, Jamie. Thanks for the insight. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. In a memo, the Ontario Police College says they're scrapping the physical fitness portion for new recruits. Why would they be doing that? They say that this own individual services do their own. But that being said, why would you want to go to the Ontario Police College and then fail to get on a service because you couldn't pass the services physical test? And I remember, you know, I've, I've got friends that have heard the call to serve over the years and, and have gone through with all of this. And I remember the physical fitness part being a a huge part of this. Everybody trying to get into shape. Uh, now that's not necessarily needed, I guess. You got a radio, you got a gun, everybody's got cars. It's not like you have to chase everybody over a fence anymore, I guess. Do you? Uh, Ross McLean is with us, crime specialist, security expert, former Toronto police officer, Ross security.com To find out more, he's with us. Ross, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Yeah, Scott. I, I was going to say, I'm not sure if you're too right on there, but I think we do need our cops in shape. I don't think it's going to get to the point where it's just, well, I'm not going to chase them, so I'll take out my gun. <laughs> but, you know, that, <laughs> you know, it's a sort of extreme one could make a joke about. There's certainly lots of uh, jelly donut jokes about this topic, but it is a strange one.
0: Well, again, like I said, I've got a few buddies that have, that have taken this course over the years and, and, and done this, and are police officers, and the physical fitness was always a massive part of this.
1: Well, no, it is. And, you know, some, some forces, like Toronto and the OPP, they have their own colleges, and they, they take you through and do things. Other forces don't. Uh, they, re- they rely on the Ontario Police College for doing certain work. And it's, it's a strange one to draw because the, the reason for the Ontario Police College is policing is a provincial responsibility. And so they lay out, uh, the Ministry of Correctional Services and Community Safety, lay out standards that every police force has to meet. And that's kind of the minimum. They're allowed to do more than that if they want or to change them a little bit so long as they meet the minimum standard. So the Ontario Police College gives a standard. Uh, and that's that standard now is going to be, uh, I think, to some degree weakened.
0: So do uh, Toronto cops who have their own police college, are they still going to the Ontario Police College at all?
1: Yep. Yeah, everybody has to graduate from the Ontario Police College because it's provincial responsibility. It's just that the OPP in Toronto did it because the forces were so large. Right. Um, and they also offer all sorts of different in-service training. So that's why they, they have their own forces, and they could afford to do it because of the size of them. But many municipal forces, of course, couldn't afford to uh, do that themselves. So
0: the, the police college was saying that some of the services do this on their own. Do there, like Would this just be the bigger ones that have their own colleges?
1: Well, everybody's going to have the standard. You're going to have to meet a standard. But to not have it continued on at the college, I think, is a bit of a disservice because physical fitness, as when you're a police officer— means so much to your career and your job, your ability to do it. And one part I want to point out that people aren't going to think about, it's also the ability not to get injured and hurt yourself yeah. uh, doing the job, let alone having the strength and the ability to deal with uh,
0: with criminals. Yeah. No, good point. I mean, if you're not flexible and in shape, you are going to get hurt. No toys about it. Uh, What about the culture and attitude of promoting physical fitness? Because, you know, you even think of things like firehouses and stuff. That's a big part of it, uh, too. Uh, Are are we missing something here?
1: Well, policemen are always jealous of the firemen who get to sit around and wait between calls and work out and cook dinners, right? I'm sure sure I'll tick off some of the fire guys listening. But, you know, they know they got it pretty good sometimes with those guys, even though you're right, though, that they're in good shape. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of cops that I've seen – Uh, These days, I was at a protest not too long ago, some Toronto coppers anyways, and there's older guys, man They were in great shape, Mm. and you know, you need to be when you walk up one of the advantages of appearing uh, Physically in shape and appearing physically Intimidating if you will is the fact that people then won't fight you when you ask them to do stuff so much But if somebody sees that maybe uh, you know the, the copper is overweight or doesn't look very strong there there might be a temptation then to fight resist or run so it's a pretty integral part of the job so what is the reasoning for doing this i don't know you know usually when you hear about things being cut from any any form of government or policing the first thing you think of is somehow they're saving budget money or something i mean i don't i don't know uh but i mean over over the years i have seen i've seen coppers uh who were who were tremendous big and small we had one guy who did the used to do the physical training back in my day he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he fooled everybody because he actually had dual citizenship, and he was trained as a U.S. Army Ranger. Mm. And he was like one of the deadliest guys you'd ever want to meet, but he was a small guy with smiles and dimples in his cheeks. You know, we had other guys who were really big, and, and perhaps one of the funniest ones I remember, Scott, we had one guy who used to run marathons. He was in great shape. He, he'd do this all the time. I remember there was a break in call in progress. We arrived at the scene. He was in the other car and the uh, kids took off he chased one guy for five miles on purpose (laughs) he could have caught him at any time but he thought i'll get my run in while we're doing this and he let the kid go and he's running in his police uniform with his boots on right wow so to have so to have you know police officers that are in shape it's it's really a pretty important thing and you got to do 12-hour shifts in and out of a car up and down stairs you know good lord no, maybe who knows you might have to do like the firemen do help pick people up and carry them up and down flights of stairs and things like that so i think it's kind of a a strange signal to send without any other context to it
0: uh head of the toronto police association mike mccormick said he's not concerned about the change are you surprised he said that it would uh streamline the hiring process meaning more officers on the street
1: yeah well of course toronto is to have their own standards and what used to happen i'm not perfectly familiar with what the standards are now, but it used to be that the Toronto and the OPP and some forces had higher standards for what's called a pass than what some other forces did. So Toronto will still put their standards on people that I'm I'm sure will probably be above whatever the provincial standards were in terms of making times on runs or what you're able to do in terms of push-ups, sit-ups, and all the other things that they have them do.
0: They say instead they're using a foot chase course, which is basically more of what an officer may do on a regular basis. your thoughts on that
1: well once again you have to be in shape to do a foot chase right I mean I mean um, I mean I guess that's something I mean you know what are you going to teach an obstacle I'm not too sure what they mean by teaching a foot chase course as opposed to being in shape you know one of the, one maybe of the, is maybe that
0: you know how long it takes you to do an obstacle course that sort of thing I don't know
1: yeah yeah, maybe, but you know, one of the things you do is you practice, and certainly they, they aided with this when I was counted at the Ontario Police College. You learn some standard, typical self defense moves that hopefully are very good. That if you do get into a bit of a dust up with someone, you're quickly able to lock them up and deal with them without having to get into a struggle and fight and roll around and all these sort of things. Because that's really where the problems happen mm-hmm. when you're not able to gain control of somebody very, very quickly. And, and in order to do that, you have to be strong, you have to be quick, you have to practice these things. And uh, I don't know, it's, to me it's just sending a wrong signal. I, I would like to tell people that, you know, you don't have to be in physically fit shape to make it as a police officer. I'm not sure that's the signal they're, they're sending or that's what it's going to be. But, you know, when you're at the college, that's also part of the discipline, right? You line up, you're in ranks, you, you march, you learn how to follow orders, you learn how to do things as a team. There's uniformity to what you do and running and you know helping the the weakest link across the line sometimes is your responsibility for doing things too.
0: Hmm. Uh, the co- they say that the, the change doesn't just apply to new recruits the college says any previous intakes who completed other aspects of the program other than uh, successfully other than the physical fitness test will now receive their basic training certificates so that sounds like they're going back to people that that didn't make it because they failed the physical fitness portion and now they're getting in.
1: Yeah, it's sort of strange. For, for decades now, uh, the police, at least the Toronto police, they have been doing hiring for skills and needs to fill gaps in the performance. As a, for instance, even way back in my day, we had a guy in our class, I feel funny saying it now, who was 30 years old that got hired as a recruit, and that was unheard of. Usually you came in at 21 yeah. from a cadet or 21, you did it. And I'm embarrassed to say now that we used to call him the old man, Yeah, right? We 30 years old and we were calling him the old man. But they brought him in because he was mature, he had more life experience. So they look for different people to pick up and with different experiences, different languages now and different things, and they are looking to fill the gaps. But I, I don't think that in order to fill those gaps, you should eliminate the need to be physically fit.
0: Yeah, it just seems kind of odd when you think about it. Uh, who who would make this call? How do you decide this?
1: You know, that's a good question. The Ontario Police College is a creature of the province. I believe it's run by the Ministry of Correctional Services and Community Safety. Um, I'm not sure it's something that they can make on their own, uh, a decision they can make there on their own or what it is. So I'm not too sure. And like I said, for me, the funny part usually rolls back to a budget. Maybe now they don't have to pay for a physical fitness person, they don't have to pay for gym equipment, they don't have to pay, maybe that's an expensive part of running the college. Um, how, mu- on
0: how much was physical fitness a part of this, in the sense that, you know, when you're on the job, will you be disciplined if you're not physically fit? How, how do you draw that line?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, when, when you go through the college, one of the things they would have you do is you got to put on the boxing gloves and you sit around in a circle sometimes. And they'd pick a couple of people to get up and go and fight. And, you know, they, sometimes the instructors would have some fun with it. But, you know, you, you have to learn how to stand for yourself. And despite your stature as a police officer, and police women learn this as well too, right, is you have to know how to carry yourself, carry yourself confidently, position yourself confidently, and have some a degree of confidence in your ability to defend yourself and act physically to do things. And you carry that with you when you walk into a situation, when you see something going on, such that when you put your hand up or in, someone will look at you and go, oh, I better stop. They mean mm-hmm. business. So it's it, it's interesting. There's, you can't really get, a, get away from being in size in a police department, particularly in a large one, because you're going to a lot of calls. And uh, the bigger the people are that show up, the less resistance you get, generally speaking.
0: Have you heard of other services relaxing their uh, physical fitness uh, protocol? Haven't
1: haven't heard about that. I mean, you know, we've all we've all been overcome with with the call of diversity, diversity. And for the longest time, there was questions as to whether that diversity was was being done in the correct manner or whatnot. I think we're past that discussion now. I meet officers from all kinds of backgrounds and all different forces uh, who are quite capable uh, officers. And I would wish for all of them, as I would for anybody, uh, as they go through their career, that they're in shape, in good health. Because there's a lot of stress. Don't forget yeah, there's a lot yeah, of stress for yeah. coppers. You drink a ton of coffee. Sometimes you eat bad. You know, your arteries don't do too well. So to, to have to have a, a bent on looking after physical fitness also helps you deal with the, with the tremendous stress.
0: That's a very valid point, too, Ross. Uh, uh, old days, it used to be you had to be this big, this tall. Uh, this weight, this whatever, uh, they relax relaxed that over, over the years. If they've relaxed that, does it make sense to relax this?
1: Yeah, I, I, just, I just feel for the, the, the nature of the job. When you get the call, right, you don't know. You're out in your, out in your car, you get a call, you're going to show up somewhere where, guess what, your, your life or other people's lives may depend on your ability to respond physically uh, and appropriately, and usually in an, in an overwhelming fashion to deal with something. And, you know, I can tell you times, uh, I'm not a small guy. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I always felt pretty big. I I was lucky when I was on my shift, we had, I was the smallest guy there. Everybody was like six, six, it seemed. And I used to actually have to not like it when the guys would go to a call, they'd stand beside me. I'd move to the end because I felt like a, you know, a pipsqueak, you know, uh, amongst the guys. But, what happened was as soon as those, those big guys showed up, everything calmed down. So to, to not have that show of force, to have somebody show up who doesn't look like they can do the job, who isn't intimidating, and you're called to deal with six big people who are, who are being rowdy, it, it, you might just find yourself on, on the wrong end of that, and it could be very dangerous.
0: Does this have anything to do with the gender equality d- uh, discussion? But then, even uh, you know, a female officer say, you know, because some ways say, well, you know, obviously females are smaller than uh, can be smaller than guys, and 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 so on and so forth. But the females would have it's the same thing. They got to be in shape too.
1: They got to be in shape, and they have to use their own judgment too. Like you know, sometimes I've seen uh, with with police women, they they're smart enough to know how to use their role when they show up at a call as to whether you know, they need to push it or not. And some police women don't want to push because some I've known some who are quite capable of de- of, of yeah. delivering some pain. But, but they're also aware of how not to go in too deep and how to protect their weapon and when to call for backup. But, you know, there's times when you absolutely need a policewoman in order to deal with certain situations. They can deal with them uh, many times in a way that, that that guys can't. So, you know, it's a real blend in having a choice of resources. I go back to the old, old, old Mission Impossible TV series, you know, where you're going through the pictures, you're looking at the different talents. It's nice to have a wide field to choose from, uh, to use the right hammer for the right nail, but you still can't get past the fact Police work is called when the trouble's going down, and you're going to need some physical force to show up for that.
0: Do you think there'll be some concern of this moving forward? Do you think that this may be reinstated later on?
1: Well, it's it's really going to be up more to the smaller police forces as to what the drive is behind that. Like I said, I think Toronto will maintain it. Right. Uh, you know, the fitness and those sort of things. Uh, so, I mean, that's going to be the interesting part. Ross... You know, Go ahead. Uh, anyways, yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. You're, you're right. It's a development here, but we'll have to keep on watching to see how it goes, Scott.
0: Ross McLean has been with us, crime specialist, security expert, former Toronto police officer, rossmcclainsecurity.com. To find out more, the Ontario Police College says they're scrapping the physical fitness portion for new recruits. Thanks, Ross, as always, for the time. Much appreciated. All right, Scott. Bye now. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900-CHML.